figuring out that balance of like being in development mode versus being in kind of growth mode um it's 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 tough but um i think over time like that you know being being able to be a small startup and making small tweaks to the model and seeing what sticks uh, helps right so we're still figuring that out i i don't i don't think we're anywhere close to figuring out or having figured out our you know product market fit um Hey, Nima. Welcome back on. How you doing? Thank you, Ravi. Thanks for having me. Doing great. How are you? Good. You're one of the uh, one of the OGs. Yeah, you were with us when we had a physical set, physical podcast set. Now, now we're you're back on to the virtual. Yeah, yeah. I remember it was. Um, I think it was like October 2018. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I joined. Yeah, it was a cool setup you guys had with the light, with the lights and everything. It was pretty, pretty nice. But this is cool too. You know. Uh, with what's going on and everything this is i think better than much better than nothing at least <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you're absolutely right like after the pandemic hit and we were forced to go to virtual like legit the weekend like the monday like in march of 2020 was when the pandemic was called the yeah. weekend of we had five really good guests lined up on our physical set and we made the call last minute on like friday to be like you know what just cancel like it doesn't look too good we're getting all these reports from across the world and then um the weekend pandemics across you know the pandemic was officially called and the yeah. monday of um you know the pandemic like you know the canada went into like a you know uh, declared official pandemic and uh it was crazy right like I mean, it's it's been a year since then more than a I year know. now yeah it felt like a lot longer <laughs> it's been yeah. a crazy year and um yeah i mean like we i think like one of the biggest things i miss is the physical events and everything that we had we used to go to and we used to like take them for granted like all these networking <laughs> events and everything we got to meet cool people you know and <clears throat> i mean the virtual stuff is cool too but of course it's not the same right so, yeah what have you um, been doing um to make uh, you know make up for the networking events you know no longer going and meeting anybody how you how you navigating Yeah, I'm uh, lately I've been using Clubhouse a lot and I think I, I see you there as well so I'm I'm trying to use that and it's kind of like pretty hype right now a lot of people are on it right so you, there's lots of cool cool rooms um you know from everything entrepreneurship to just like uh you know even like um stand up comedies and stuff yeah. so I I try to join like uh, kind of <clears throat> kind of a variety of rooms and see you know if it's um quite if it's the same as a networking event it's not quite the same right of course as you don't get get that physical kind of face to face but still you know you get to meet cool people and learn more about their business or their life story and um that's kind of what i do these days and to kind of i guess um try to socialize a little bit yeah what about you yeah um luckily we have this this podcast and like you said clubhouse uh that's yeah. that's been the majority of uh the the way of getting around it like immediately like uh this is that I went in a problem solving mode um you know when the pandemic is called like how are we going to meet people like one our episodes we can't even do uh physically we had to do virtually we had to figure out how to do it virtually but secondly we met everybody at events you know we met well, you at exactly. at an event right like yeah 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 <clears throat> right and that's how we, uh, that's how the, the innovation industry kind of worked you know there's these big events there's these small events there's these exactly. events that you only know about cuz you know somebody but like you go to these places and you physically meet people and then you take the conversation offline now it's completely okay. flipped now you're meeting people yeah. completely virtual 
And it's like, how do you meaningfully do that, right? Because the whole point of going to an event is like, you don't know who you're meeting, but you know it's themed around and there's whole spontaneity around it. Now it's like, okay, exactly. I'm searching for people, but problem is, I don't know who, sometimes like, you don't know who you're searching for, you know? Exactly. The, yeah. The, yeah. Meeting, meeting random people sometimes like sparks and say like, oh, you know what? Like this could be interesting to work on this or thinking about that or, uh, you know, that randomness is definitely helping, uh, helps out. So how do we do that in a virtual environment, you know? Yeah, it's clubhouse. It's I think the closest thing. Exactly. Yeah. So at least, like you know, when people kind of hold rooms and they they have some sort of topic that you know people <clears> with similar mindsets at least come together. You you know you kind of get that um, feeling, but it's still, as you say, kind of different. I think like one thing, like for example, I see on clubhouse that I don't see or we don't see in like the real world is the the fact that everyone's in one room, right? So like at a networking event, typically people are in like smallest groups, kind of all over the room. Whereas like with Clubhouse, we see this one giant room sometimes, right? With like lots of people. And so I guess that part of it makes it more tricky to kind of connect with more individuals because you can't really go small group to small group. You have to like talk in front of the whole big audience sometimes. And so yeah. um, that there's there's a bit of a challenge that I've, I've noticed there too. But um, again, still something uh, better than nothing, right? You still get to meet a few people and like, you know, again, as you said, like meet online and then possibly in the future you meet them offline right so um yeah everything's flipped <laughs> yeah man um like talking about that right like i remember like collision conference right i think we we i think we ran it bumped into each other in collision 2019 and um <clears throat> and uh, you know like these big conferences were like the epitome of tech right you can go there and meet and like see these like you know these great speakers talk and like be inspired by them you can bump into people randomly um you can exhibit uh, conferences like like these things usually way of growth usually growth vehicles right you meet partners you meet potential people you can you can work with or hire or work with you or work through you right like all these partnerships kind of kind of came in effect and like i've been kind of trying to figure out how do we replicate that right so yeah. um i'd love to hear more about the shift right because uh you know you came in and introduced shift right on the previous episode We've had we have had many people come back and do regular episodes, but I always enjoyed that almost more than the first one because like now we kind of already know, you know, the story of where you came from. Let's figure out sure. you know where you're going. I'm just I'm just putting up a, a, a do not disturb mode on my phone. I, I usually oh, do that at the beginning, good. but I forgot. But uh, you know, like uh, I love to jump into the, the growth of uh, Shiftrite and how you guys have been navigating uh, this situation, right? So uh, what's sure. what's the latest and the greatest, man? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think last time we talked about like, um, or we talked was, uh, you know, our next uh, strategy was like, how do we get to Toronto, the Toronto market, right? So we were just in Waterloo. Uh, we had a couple cars there and people were using them for their regular kind of daily trips around town, you know, for groceries, shopping, going out with friends and all that. And so, uh, and of course, we saw the, how kind of the pandemic shifted all of that and everyone just went online. A lot of the grocery shopping became online. You know, malls started getting closed and very limited. So, um, throughout that, we kind of you know noticed a bit of a, a bit of a pattern in terms of like the, the use cases change. Um, more people were kind of looking to to use us to you know either do work or um, you know do other stuff that might not be you know related to you know shopping or groceries or, or things like that. It was more of like we saw this kind of trend of people wanting to keep the card longer. Uh, and use it more, um, especially in a time where they didn't know like what's going to happen. Maybe like, you know, the day after everything else closes again. So, you know, people were looking for something more stable, more longer term. And so we kind of like noticed that. Um, and uh, but kind of to backtrack a little bit, since then uh, we 
you know, we're looking to bring uh, Shipwright to Toronto with the same model that we had. But of course, um, you know, once the pandemic hit, we were like, okay, um, let's kind of tweak the model. Can we do something longer term? Can we do um, like daily, potentially even weekly? Um, and so we kind of actually got into the more of a longer term solution. So we became a weekly kind of subscription to cars. Um, so you, you'd subscribe it to a car. Um, there's, it's still a marketplace, so we still have cars that other people list um, or even rental companies and people who, have, who do this commercially. Um, and we actually have people who on the other end, they don't own a car, uh, but yet uh, they want they want to use one and they don't want to you know, buy or lease one. Uh, this is a perfect solution because they, they get one week by week. And if their needs change, they can switch to an SUV, let's say, um, and then in the summer they can switch uh, switch to like a convertible. So it, it uh, we kind of figured out that this is a cool cool model that might actually fit better into the current situation, even longer term. Um, mm. So yeah, we kind of took a bit of a pivot, uh, and we actually launched in Toronto um, last uh, November. So we've been we've been here since then, and we we still have cars in Waterloo, but more of the traffic is coming in Toronto. Um, so it definitely took longer than we expected, um, but um, you know we're, we're you know we're still happy that we're here and we're we're growing within the Toronto area and um, now we're kind of again um, going through that other phase of okay what's next like do we keep expanding here do we go to other provinces what's that going to look like uh, so yeah that's kind of like where, where we're at really cool uh, I love this because like um, you know the sharing economy hasn't talked about for like uh, like you know about half a decade now. And the, the concepts are still not like like uh, ing- fully ingrained into us, right? The idea of like limiting ownership and uh, more like communal assets, uh, you know, combined through technology. Uh, you know, Uber kind of like made it more wide- widespread with like the, you know, a- a- like mo- a- on-demand mobile experience, right? Like a mo- mobility experience, right? But what you're talking about is a little bit, a little bit of, a, of a blended structure. It's like, you know, okay, I not only have on-demand mobile uh, mobility, but... I can also hold on to that asset, hold on to that uh, that vehicle for like a week at a time, right? Um, so it allows it allows you to have this kind of mobility, but over an extended period of time, like a almost like a short term rental of uh, of, uh, of of vehicles. Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, like we kind of convert com- uh, compare ourselves with like a short term lease, kind of like that's kind of like what the model is, and as you said, like. Uh, it's it's been interesting because people some like we've seen people come subscribe to a, like for a week or for two weeks and then all of a sudden they realize this service is so useful that they actually stay subscribed for months at a time so um, it's been interesting to see kind of how the usage is and um, how people use it yeah mm, really cool so uh, going back to that like description model right like um, uh, I think it was a uh, Porsche and and then I think later on uh, Mercedes, I, I think we talked about this as well on, on, on our first episode. But they made a subscription model for their 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 vehicles, right? So instead of like leasing a car or financing it, you could pay a subscription and get access to a fleet. And anytime you wanted, repl- bring back a car and take another one out, or like you know, within a certain class of vehicles. Um, exactly. Is that something that's uh, you know? And I think we we talked a little bit about this. Is something comparable to this? Uh, you know. Could there be ever be a point where we can just pay ShiftRide a subscription and you're gonna get access to a whole tier, uh, a level tier of vehicles? You know, pay an EV tier and I can get access to EV vehicles anytime I need yeah. to or go into like, you know, because one of the thing, main things driving this aspect is a car ownership is very expensive. Buying a car, maintaining it, keeping it somewhere, you know, from parking to like uh, storage, uh, and then like all the things you need to do for it. Plus insurance, all those kind of stuff really eat up, uh, eat it up. 
Um, so there's been a lot of moves recently to like, you know, part ways with this type of uh, type of product, right? Not having to own it yourself. 100%. Yeah. And I think like you, I mean, you touched on Uber and like the mobility sector. And I still think there's a huge like market demand for private car ownership, right? So that's where we're trying to bridge, bridge that gap with the subscription service. Like, can we make it so that people have that convenience or that flexibility of uh, an Uber type model where they don't have to buy a car, but they can use one? and yet have kind of a private ownership or some sort of ownership, right? It's more of like a short-term lease again, right? So you don't actually own the car, but you own that time with the car. So, um, so yeah, I, I think like we've seen that kind of um, interest in longer term and we, we're even looking, looking at like possibly even longer term than that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely something that, that we see there. And when, when, we, when we launched originally, like we, we didn't know if it's going to work and we had one guy take the car for like a month and they actually enjoyed using it and, we thought, okay, there might be something there. And that's kind of how it got started. It was kind of a pilot. Didn't even know we're going to actually do this. Um, and uh, yeah, but we're, we're happy because it's uh, this model is a little bit more scalable. And as you said, like, you know, car ownership comes with all those different aspects. And so when we package them all together into a subscription service, um, it becomes easier. And um, I think, you know, going back to your question, like, will Shifai get to that level? That's what we're trying to get to. Like, of course, there's programs like, I think it's called Porsche Passport or maybe they renamed mm. it. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, and, and I think Volvo has one too. Uh, but uh, with them, I think um, still a lot of the end goal is to eventually sell a car to that customer, um, you know, which is also an interesting model, right? To get them kind of, um, uh, I guess, comfortable yeah. with it behind a Porsche and then eventually make a sale out of that Um mm-hmm. I think like that's kind of the end goal for try it till you buy it, it kind of that. model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's where, where the OEMs come from, from, from where I've, what I've seen. Um, and I, some of them can be really, really pricey too. Like I've seen like prices in the uh, $2,000 ranges, uh, but of course they come with like insurance and everything. Right. So yeah. And at least everything's bundled together. So you don't have to worry about each individual piece and maintenance and everything's included. So um, I think, yeah, eventually like, that 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 might help us bridge that gap between you know yeah getting your getting your ride private ownership and then eventually self-driving cars and everything so yeah i mean is there something we can you, you can do now like imagine going to dealerships like uh, you know youth car dealerships to even like uh, to even like the oems right now that don't have these car programs like hey you know sell them like enterprise you know be like an enterprise partnership and like like hey look this is our capabilities look what we can do right um you know why don't you try a you know a a a, a passport program you know try to they exactly. buy a kind of program right like you know imagine that that becomes experience right cuz i think user experience when it comes to vehicles is definitely shifting um especially with people's mindsets they're no longer making like $30,000 $50,000 vehicle decisions like on the fly anymore they want to take their time and make that make that estimation but they're willing to spend more you know, I think the market is like segmenting. The people who are buying are buying like more premium vehicles, whereas people uh, in the aggregate they're buying less. Interesting enough, like I think 2020, they said because of the pandemic, you know, car prices are going to go down, but it's actually a record high of people who went out and yeah. bought vehicles because they're yeah. they don't want to be dependent on other people anymore or like the other factors came into it, right? Yeah, um, it was interesting. Yeah, like, what do the shifts in the market look like uh, on, on your half? Like, uh, you know, did um, any, any interest in your your your, your platform spike? What would happen? Yeah, so I, I think that was partially the reason why we saw longer term, like, people coming to use the car longer term. Um, so I, I, I think people wanted to have that flexibility and the control mm. of their car, especially, like, with a public transit, like, 
probably wasn't the best time to use the public transit system. So um, people wanted to turn more towards that private ownership or the transportation sector. And so, I, yeah, a lot of people, like even personally, I know that bought the car in 2020. And so it was interesting for us, like the, I mean, in terms of like the, the, the graph, like we saw um, a huge dip around the March, uh, April timeframe where the first lockdowns hit. But after that, I mean, things kind of evened out and uh, mm. uh, kind of uh, got back to maybe not normal, but um, just, you know, slightly below what, what was normal for, let's say, like summer 2020 versus summer 2019. Um, so, but uh, of course, it still uh, isn't the same. Um, and so that, that's kind of why we decided to make that pivot because we saw a couple of people use a longer term. And when we, you know, ran a few surveys within our customers, we noticed that kind of convenience factor that comes with having that car and not having to be worried about returning it, you know, very quickly. And, and knowing that you have it at least for a week, you know, you can do a lot in a week with the car, you can run your errands, um, you know, go visit your parents or whatever the use case is for that individual. Um, we, we saw that, you know, they like that sort of model. And then yet they come, it comes with a flexibility of, of like, let's say a week down the road, you decide you don't want it anymore. You know, it, that's totally okay. You don't have to commit to it. And I think that kind of um, model fits better for especially mm -hmm. like people who are just getting into using a car this is their first experience with a car they don't they're not sure about buying one or leasing one and they 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 like the they like the idea of owning a car but of course like this helps them get into the market so totally at some point it could be a thing where we could be that gap between like let's say buying a car and actually uh, you, you know just getting let's say rides in a car right so that kind of um, gap between those two markets Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, speaking about that, like, is there any numbers you can share? Um, you know, how many cars you have your platform, uh, daily active users, anything like that? For sure. Yeah. So like right now in terms of like subscribers, I think we're close to about like 40, 50 kind of monthly active subscribers. Um, maybe slightly below that, but, uh, in terms of cars, I think we listed, uh, slightly over 120 in Toronto. Wow. Um, yeah. But yeah, the list of cars definitely like, or the onboarding of the cars improved since our previous model. And the main reason being the location factor. So before mm. we, 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 we were to, we were partnering up with buildings uh, like property management companies to place these cars in that specific location. And then, um, you, you know, you touched on that point too, that parking is not cheap. And, and then not only that, but um, finding the right parking was really challenging for that. Right. So getting people to come back and, finding the right places to place these cars or buildings to place these cars was challenging, right? So, um, and, and that kind of like um, blocked our uh, ability to scale faster. Right now, uh, the location doesn't matter as much. A lot of the car providers allow delivery options or um, they're in pretty good locations and someone, you know, is willing to travel, let's say five, 10 kilometers to get a car that they're gonna use for a week at least. So mm -hmm. um, the, 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 fact, the location factor is not as a huge, um, blocking um, or i guess like challenge anymore <clears throat> cool that's really cool insights i mean i'm, I'm glad to uh, i've seen this full cycle you know you, when you came on you i think you were like pre-launch you're getting ready and getting things going so uh what are your learning curves like uh you know so since the past two years since you came on um you know what, what have you learned and what are you what are you expanding on for sure uh, so i think the last time i came on i think i was just i was still working on my own but that was a bit of a challenge uh for sure, because I was doing everything all myself, right? And I was more like, I was really, really working hard to like maintain the platform at the same time, try to grow it. And at the same time, try to raise capital. So 
uh, at some point, you know, I, I figured I can't do everything all on my own. So uh, I actually brought on my, my co-founder who helped start the company back in 2016, 17. Um, so actually, I, uh, they took a bit of a break from the company, but they came back on and uh, we partnered up again uh, last year. So and uh, that, that really helped a lot. Right. So throughout that kind of a learning curve is that, you know, definitely get someone on board who you can kind of share the, the the load of the work especially early on when there's so much to do and you're trying to grow at the same time uh, make sure your platform you know you got a product going and you got uh, customer support and all these small pieces that are you know need, that need to be in place so that, yeah i think like team was one of the or making sure that there's some sort of a team was like one of the key factors um, that i learned especially throughout this kind of uh, pandemic and everything um, yeah i think that was like the biggest kind of learning other than that i mean um you know, we, it, it, I mean, we knew this before, it always takes longer than you think, right? So like, I think last time we talked, um, first time I was on the podcast, I thought we we're going to be in Toronto in a couple months, um, you know, at that point. And of course, it didn't happen. It wasn't that fast, right? So it took some time. Um, and so I think like, sometimes you got to be like a little bit more realistic and try to set like reasonable expectations or goals for yourself, you know, um, which is hard, especially like when you're, when you're a product person and you you want to put together product and you set timelines for the product and it's very similar with product development too it, it never takes like they say that it takes three times as long as you actually or as, as you think it will take to actually complete the product and i think it's pretty true like from what i've seen in um the past few you know products and apps i've worked on so um uh something uh yeah i think that's kind of like been my main kind of um learning i guess throughout the past year another cool thing that happened which is not related to shipwright but um, i've always wanted to teach design online so i um i think back in 2015 i started uh filming a few lectures of uh this software called sketch which helps uh, people design uh, uh, you know whether it's user interfaces or anything really of that nature um, and i actually started filming a couple um, videos because i i saw you know other people teaching online i thought this would be something cool to try um, and then I never actually ended up finishing that course or putting it together. So throughout the pandemic, that gave me, you know, the, the whole lockdown kind of helped in the sense that I was at home more. So I was, you know, I was trying to come up with something that I could do and um, it would be fun. And it turned out that making that course was actually one of the, one of them. And so I actually put together a course on how to uh, do, how to like design a complete UI UX um, in the software Figma. So, uh, which is a free design platform. So. Yeah, I put that together and uh, I think it was almost exactly a year ago, just when the pandemic was like probably a month in. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that, that was also something exciting and new that I didn't expect to do and uh, ended up happening. So. Sorry, I can't hear you. I don't know if it's on your end or mine. Oh, that's that's okay. that was me. Sorry about that. Okay, so. No, sorry. <laughs> So as I was saying, uh, I think that uh, I mean that's a, that's a interesting skill to get, right? Like the the because it's, because of the internet is new ways of sharing information and, and teaching people. You know, back in the, before sure. you had a, you know giving a lecture was like you had to pull people into a room or maybe write a book and then try to sell that book off to people, right? Yeah. But now you can like upload a video or a series of videos, right? And uh, and and really captivate an audience about you know something that you've learned to scale and then and then sell that off. So was that meant to be like a um, income generator like something that you wanted to put out there or was it meant to be a self-challenge for yourself to be like can i you know can i show these skills off that i have like 
Can I condense condense knowledge into shareable tidbits? Like, where was the motivation for that? Honestly, it was a bit of both. Uh, like the income part was great, but I didn't have any expectation. I thought, you know, I'm just going to put the like this course, like I'm going to put it together because the first step was that, you know, when I started making that first course, um, when I had initially the idea back in 2015, you know, I always kind of went through these years thinking, oh, I like what could have happened if I finished them, just put up that course, you know, maybe I would have gotten a couple of students from it. So I guess that whole like um, mindset of like wanting to finish something you started uh, was there and that really kind of motivated me. And then once I published it, you know, again, I, I wasn't sure what to expect and if I have to go and do a lot of marketing for it. But it turned out that the course slowly picked up on its on its own and um, I, I listed it on Udemy and Skillshare. Um, which is where it's available right now, and uh, it it kind of picked up on its own without much mm. marketing on my end. So that was that was interesting to see. So, um, and I saw a lot of students kind of enjoy it. A lot of people reached out to me saying that this course helped them, you know, kind of get the design job they wanted or get the, um, you know, even senior level designers who wanted to get into Figma uh, that software, but they didn't know how to do it and they went through this course. So it was it was interesting to see these kind of uh, reviews and feedbacks coming from people and. Um, but yeah, I went in with no expectation and just uh, turned out to be a pretty good uh, decision. And I'm, I'm, I'm working on the side, uh, like on the weekends and everything to put together a second course right now. So, uh, but it's definitely more challenging because um, now we're trying to like, we're in kind of growth mode at the same time, um, you know, I'm doing that. So it's, uh, and making a course is like, you got to put a ton of hours into kind of editing, filming, editing, right? So I guess much like a podcast, right? So. <laughs> It goes like there's a lot of work that goes into it that you don't realize at the first and then once you get into it you're like wow yeah what was the feedback like uh for this for the coast for the for the uh course sorry uh like in terms of like uh, like people like leaving reviews and stuff right so I would, I would, like every once in a while i read the reviews just to see like why people took the course you know how did it help them um and it was yeah it's it's been interesting because like there's a wide variety of people some people are just getting into design some people have been designing for 20 years and and they're just looking to learn a new software um, like let's say their their company decided to use figma and then now they need to learn figma so a lot of kind of um, people like that took the course so yeah a wide variety of kind of students came in and um, uh, took the course so that was interesting to see Perfect. So going back to that, like, um, you know, you took the, you know, you built this course, you know, you got shift right up and running and, uh, and now, um, you know, people are using it. Uh, what, what's next? Like what's, uh, what's next in the vision scheme? Uh, are you trying to, uh, raise capital? Are you expanding, hiring? What's going on? For sure. So we, so, uh, the next step like is to figure out like whether the model that we have right now in Toronto, um, will it work in other provinces? You know, we want to go nationwide, like um, as soon as possible, like 2022, I would say uh, is when we're ready to like slowly pick up, you know, our growth. Um, and uh, in terms of like kind of launching in m multiple uh, areas, because right now, like being in one city is, is nice, but like we want to be able to offer the service in multiple places. So, um, uh, and of course, like raising capital is always kind of the back of the back of our head, but um, I think these two will kind of kind of come hand in hand. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're right now we're still working on the product. So everything uh, that's happening is still pretty much MVP. Like it's been a couple months since we launched, so um, we still take a lot of the bookings through through a chat system. So uh, everything is not like fully automated or even close to uh, fully automated uh, automated so um, we need to kind of improve the product tweak it but of course that's like a, 
not kind of like a one week or two week thing. It's, it will always be um, going on, you know, improving the product, but get it to a certain level that we can comfortably launch it in other places, I would say would be kind of the next step. Um, and then find, figure out a way to actually get into those provinces and then eventually into the U.S. market. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. that'll be kind of like next year. Okay. So, you know, you have this trajectory and, and, and mapped out and, and to move forward, right? Like now it's like execution time, right? Like it's one thing to build a company, but another thing to execute and develop on a, a, a business plan. Uh, one of the things I've um, really recently been able to appreciate, it's like a blog post I, I read, um, you know, back in 2013. And then, um, uh, you know, one of uh, a close friend, uh, Travis Ratnam, just recently reshared it to me. It's called, it's by Steve Blank. It's called Search First Execute. Right, and the idea is that uh, is that, is that um, startups are not small versions of large companies. That startups really are like uh, experiments, it's like people's lab coats running experiments. It's a laboratory environment. So uh, a, a startup is essentially a search for a um, a repeatable business model. So you spend a lot of time in a startup looking for ways to find a repeatable business model. And once you catch that and and and, and it builds it, then the execution side, you know, you stop searching, you start executing on that business model, right? Repeating, repeating and scaling it and growing it. And it's almost like two different tasks, right? Like it's one thing to run experiments in a laboratory environment and try to discover something. Another thing to execute, 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 or develop. And this is also like a cliff that a lot of entrepreneurs go through to like, I have to learn the skill to execute now, get away from the building, get away from the, the, the tinkering. And okay, now it's just like uh, scaling this and moving it forward. What kind of mind shift change have you, have you, have you gone through now that, you know, now, now your product is out there, how have you shifted your focus? Yeah, Robbie, it's so interesting you mentioned that, like that whole, because that comes to my mind every day, like that kind of being in the development mode versus like executing in growth mode, right? Um, and I think like it's it's probably not, I mean, one thing going back to kind of like timing, I think we always think we're able to grow much faster than we than we can actually grow, right? And, and sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes we end up growing way faster than we think. Um, we can right so and so and that's a good stage to be of course that's when i think product market fit you know once you have a product market fit then you're in that level where the growth kind of happens um, not on its own of course but like much easier than way than when you started let's say so i think yeah uh, for for us kind of um figuring out that balance of like being in development mode versus being in kind of growth mode um it, it's it's tough but um i think over time like that you know, being being able to be a small startup and making small tweaks to the model and seeing what sticks uh, helps, right? So we're still figuring that out. I I don't I don't think we're anywhere close to figuring out or having figured out our you know product market fit. Um, you know, um, and I don't know like everyone has a different definition of like pro- what product market fit, but um, you know the the best one I heard is that you you know you make a product and you you're at a level where you know you you don't you don't have enough time to take on the customers that are coming because there's so many so many customers, you know, at the door that yeah, you're, you're trying to figure out how to actually onboard them, right? So I think that's a good kind of uh, stage to be. Uh, but of course, it will take a lot of like marketing efforts and everything to get to that level. And so right now for us, it's it's figuring out how do we market to get to that growth, uh, growth level, right? So run experiments, run marketing experiments, see who our target customers even are, right? So I mean, right now we have some idea of like who these people are who are coming in, let's say booking cars on a weekly basis, but um, will that be kind of a target market uh, that we're going for, uh, that we're actually like advertising for? So, yeah, it's still a learning curve. It's like I, we don't have it figured out. Um, 
So, but, 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 you know, every day we try to kind of challenge ourselves with something new, whether it's, you know, new uh, product uh, arm and then experimenting with the marketing side and seeing which one sticks. I think that, that having that kind of mindset helps a lot as opposed to sticking to, you know, the, the only, the first like business model you came up with and just trying to grow that. Cause that, that, that could be hard. I mean, it works for some companies, but for, for others, they have to pivot and try to, you know, see which one works which one's more scalable like um and and with especially with the capital that you have right so if, if it's uh if you if you can go out and raise a lot of capital and grow your idea that's perfect but if not then you got to figure out how to make that business model work in a way where you don't need that much capital right to to uh, expand it hmm. yeah so you know with uh you know thinking in that kind of mentality and uh you know moving forward about you know strategically building things up and, and moving that How's your um, advisory team looking like? You know, have you built up uh, a group of advisors around you? Like, where do you go for uh, you know for knowledge? For sure. Um, for so advisory, like I, right now, a lot of online, you know, a lot of Instagram influencers, you know, Gary V. You know, <laughs> so I, I I love to turn into like kind of that online, um, I guess, uh, mode of of looking for like advice and everything. I don't have anyone that I like I, that I would call a mentor. Um, but of course, like every, every once in a while, there are people in the industry that I chat with, you know, uh, who, who've either done this before or done something similar to this before, and, um, whether it's through like LinkedIn or through networking events that I met them at before. And uh, so I, I try to catch up with them and kind of share what we're working on. Um, yeah, that's yeah. kind of like where I kind of get my, my advice or, um, yeah. Cool. No, um, I, I love that. Isn't that an answer I was expecting? Um, you know, when, generally when you ask for that, people talk about advisory boards or trying to build an advisory board, stuff like that. But the fact that your mind immediately went to Gary Vee and like Instagram influencers, that's really interesting because, you know what, uh, I think like uh, the influencer market, especially in that kind of sense, like, you know, especially from like business leaders to uh, like entrepreneurship leaders to even like, you know, inspirational, just uh, motivational speakers. Right. I think it's so important uh, to surround yourself with an entrepreneur because like the mindset matters, right? The, the mind state that you're in. Uh, and by watching these influences, one of the main things I realized is that not only are you grasping truth or like, you know, you're taking something out you know, from what they say, but like you're also glimpsing into their mind, like how they think about the world, how they, their, how they view things, right? And that's just as important. Right. When like, you know, listen to you listen to Gary V talk a little bit, you know, more than like the aggressive bravado and like the, you know, the the, the, the straight in your face, like yelling at yeah. you inspiration. Right. Is like this worldview of looking at things right as, as collectibles, as people, people's as, you know, the, as these um, uh, these blocks that like, you know, make like these calculable, uh, calculable um, um, uh, decisions and how you can work within that and like how your passion should like, you know, uh, how, uh, should flow through your capital and like. You know, like there's, there's different weights, and then you turn around and you li- like you know listen to like like uh, you know who else like um, uh, the, the 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 guy from Shark Tank. Uh, I mean, um, uh, Mark Cuban or, or Kevin even O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary, yeah. right? <laughs> like you switch to someone like that, and you see a completely different worldview, oh, yeah. right? And being able to like I think like more than like. I think mentorship is like an overblown term nowadays. Like it's like everyone and everyone else is like trying to find a mentor, but like what you really want is like access to mind states, right? Like different sorts of minds, like mind, um, like, like, uh, you know, like, like how they see the world or, or like the mind views of how they, uh, how they make decisions. Cause it gives you a different framework from you to think, or like how you should think about, right? Like you see the winners and you work around that. 
what I love about online is that you know there's this idea that you know you are your f- five friends, the people you spend most of your time with is who you become. But if you can spend a lot of online time through online time, you can kind of hack this, right? By like following the right people or get by like by like creating your in, like your social environment around like certain certain points of influence, you can hack your own personality, your mind, your 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 own your own self conscious towards that kind of mindset if you, uh, you know, if if you're very calculated like that. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think like like social media is like anything else you can. Uh like a like a TV, uh, kind of a tv right you can choose the right channels and, and learn something or you can just kind of like browse on and and see you know vacation photos which you know you still got to do a bit of both it's not like one or the other but what i'm saying is that like the the online like influencer kind of model i think works really well and um just kind of tuning in and, and let's say you're not having a great day in your startup and you watch a couple of those videos it kind of helps you get through it and Absolutely. maybe even find new methods of making something work and um and i don't know i'm not like a huge huge like motivational video type of person i used to be but because it's not everything right so it's not like you can watch one video and then go execute right so yeah. it doesn't work the same way but at least kind of filling your mind with those kind of content with that type of content at least if you don't learn something new you're in a positive mindset of wanting to go out and do something about it right so mm. um, yeah i think there's it's it's one of those things that still um a lot of people don't turn to but they they should you know look at it and, and, and try, try it out even if, if it's through youtube if it's through instagram or wherever right so and tiktok's a great one too there's so many educational videos there that i every time i just check it i'm like i can't believe it so hmm so like uh, going back to uh, the, that idea right like that, that so the like i've been following this idea like of social commerce right like everything's becoming more social and all about micro communities right like yeah. people like to people want to buy from people like there was a great meme that showed like more people follow bill gates than microsoft on linkedin more people follow jeff bezos than than amazon and the idea behind it being like people buy from people right yeah. like why does tesla work so much where there's barely any marketing Elon Musk, right? Like the brand names behind these, the entrepreneur behind the business makes it as like you know builds like a, develops like a cult like feel like a, like a following almost, right? Like we live in an environment where like we we idolize idolize like you know successful entrepreneurship, and um, you know that comes from entrepreneurs but also from other people who just want to see you know the the winners come out of it, and I think there's an opportunity to social media to develop our own um, you know as entrepreneurs. You know, just like creators out there, you know, like uh, comedians or sketch makers or art, like, you know, uh, visual artists, you know, just like they develop like a, a community around themselves through their art. I think there's a there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to develop a community around themselves, around their their business. Right. Not just kind of customers buying this stuff, but just seeing how it's made and run from the back end, just cheerleading you on. They want to be people want to be part of things, but part of movements. Right. Is this something you think about or like uh, you, you, you frame in? Yeah, I try. Like, uh, I mean, it's interesting you said that. I think like for for the uh, like, especially for the courses, uh, the course that I made like online, um, I, I put together kind of an Instagram page and started posting there like you know content. And um, it's interesting to see a, a lot of my students kind of tune in and follow it over there or even on YouTube just to kind of like follow along after the course and see what happens. Um, I think it's the same thing for like any business, right? So they want to see kind of. The per, like they want to learn more about the person behind the brand or the or the product, and see you know what they're all about and what else can they learn from them. I think yeah, 
it, it's there's a lot over there that, that that's going on and you either have the opportunity like there's a lot of great companies that we don't know the people behind them right because they don't have that kind of um i guess um uh, following on, on 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 social media or even they're not that involved themselves right so which makes sense right so not it's not for everyone it's pretty hard to and and i mean like you have a podcast so you know it's hard to put out content you know day in and day out right so um and and even for like the, the design course that i'm working on like um when i put together kind of, kind of content to post on instagram it takes a lot of time to to create that content put it up um, make sure it delivers value so um it's a lot of work so when when entrepreneurs do that and share the process along the way mm. share those kind of steps and every day and the behind the scenes as you're saying i think like there's lots of value there's more value than the sometimes the product that people buy from them so, you know, just to see kind of like what it takes to to, to you know you know sit behind the tesla you know what it takes mm. yeah one of my uh favorite um quote unquote influencers right now is uh Naval Ravikant uh, the co-founder of Angel List. Uh okay. he's kind of got a cult like following on a uh, Clubhouse now uh and on Twitter, but he's becoming becoming known like the oracle of tech. Um be- just because of how simply explains his uh, explains ideas, like moral almost like moral philosophies around technology and innovation and life from a point of like uh, from an entrepreneurial points like a uh, framework, but like very simple like uh like very condensed minimalistic uh thoughts right and he's been, he's been, he, he he has like a whole following on, on on twitter like his tweets and some of his sayings have been condensed into something called navalisms right and there's literally like like there's there's aggregators out there who are cre- who are like bring this together and calling navalisms and like the different uh, things he's talked about and then adding their point of reference to it explaining the navalisms right so it, it's it's really interesting to see how these communities kind of to kind of develop but one of the things that I really uh, took away from Naval that really, really spoke to me is the idea of uh, leverage, right? So in the old world, leverage came from two forms, capital and, and labor. If you control labor, if, control cap- if you have capital control, um, you can, you know, you have, uh, you know, leverage to, to solve any kind of problem. You solve problems, you get paid by the market for the problems you solve, right? Uh, nowadays, because of the internet, Right, uh, you get a new form of leverage. So the old forms of leverage, capital and labor, are permission leverage. Someone has to give it to you. Mm-hmm. You'd ask for someone's permission. Someone to come work for you, or you had to pay someone to come work for you. You had to, you know, um, you had to get permission from that. And the same thing about uh, capital, right? Someone has to give you capital, either through customers or through um, uh, investors that you convince to, you know, fund your project. But now, uh, in the era of the internet, you have two new forms of leverage. And they're permissionless, meaning you don't need anyone's permission to do that. And the, and their types yeah. is code, and uh, media, right? So you don't need anyone's kind of permission to develop some code, learn code, but to build something, build a product, just like Shift Right, and launch it out. And you're developing this entity that can go, you can build and grow, develop, and solve problems in the world. And and the bigger the, the solution it solves, the problems it solves, the more rewards you get out of it, the more capital you get out of it, right? But the yeah. the second the secondary one is what I'm really interested in is media, media leverage, right? Because we you can create as much media content as much as you want. Because now everything's frictionless. You know, you have these HD devices. We have these kind of things, super easy and efficient to to you know to create media. Right? You can create these elements just like pieces of code or a code project out there on its own, working and developing and growing and growing on behalf of you. Media is kind of the same thing. You develop and you publish the asset, and it lives. It lives on, right? Yeah. Uh, look at Joe Rogan, right? Hundred million dollar acquisition by Spotify for his network. Okay. 
uh, and probably made another hundred million dollars uh, independently uh, in running his his uh, companies under under his brand and umbrella of the of his podcast, right? Like really inspired that kind of thinking, right? So these two new types of, of, of permissionless leverage. I think that's what's really uh, sparking a lot of entrepreneurial action right now. I mean, startups, the main reason startups are running is software in the world. And if you can create code, you're there. But there's also these points of, uh, you know, the, 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 the media leverage. If you can capture attention in the ever, ever, uh, you know, shortening attention graph that people have, right? Like, that's it, right? Attention from, you know, thousands of people, millions of people, it's very valuable, right? Um, and sure. within all that is data. Right, like being able to capture and learn uh, data to uh, to learn from. So I think we're moving into like a really interesting uh, interesting world, uh, you know, post pandemic where everyone's now suddenly used to being virtual and being, uh, you know, working anonymously and like you know, uh, sorry, to, uh, virtually and uh, you know, without any any kind of uh, real kind of inter- physical interactions. You know, how we can we evolve as companies? Like, we, like, uh, would you hire people that are across the world that you'll probably never meet? And uh, would you trust them to run Chef Ride? Like, uh, wh- what's your mindset there? For sure. I think, like, yeah, uh, you touched on a lot of cool stuff there. I mean, like, the past year, I think we've seen, like, or at least I've, I've seen, like, way more people become influencers and become kind of these online, um, you know, uh, characters that people follow, you know, through through all these platforms. There's so many now, right? TikTok, Instagram, and all of that, right? So I think they made it easier where, like, you know, with the media, you don't even, before, like, you used to need um, some sort of professional camera or some sort of professional equipment, but now with, like, you know, just an iPhone, you can go and become a, kind of an influencer, and as long as you put some content out there that people like, you know, the same thing as a product, right? If you code something that people like to use, um, you know, you're set. Um, you don't really need much capital or labor um, there, so I think, yeah, definitely those those are, uh, we'll see, like, that pick up way more, um, I think, in the future, and, um it won't be as important to let's say be um, you know have millions of dollars in funding to to start a company right so um, I think that transition is going to be interesting to see and hopefully help people more people become entrepreneurs and and ex- at least explore it right so to see if it's their thing and um, yeah but uh, going back to kind of your question like uh, I guess like hiring like and being fully remote um, it's a it's a hard mindset to to develop to especially like for me like I, I definitely like that face-to-face connection a lot more um, but of course like as like a lot of companies are moving towards that direction I think like eventually we'll have to um, develop that ability to be able to connect virtually and, and trust people virtually and um, you know see see where they you know they take things and I don't think like it's a huge difference you know as long as you can communicate with that person um, you know and and with so many tools now that usually that's not a huge deal you know you take a chance that someone either works out or it doesn't so I think yeah I think I, I, I will definitely want to t- try it out and if it's the right person um, you know why not you know, I think um, especially like if you want to expand to other provinces or like for us other areas and we don't uh, like whereas before we had this mindset of having to be there physically ourselves um, now with that with this new kind of remote working we can totally launch in new cities and have people in those cities run shift right let's say within that city or in that area without us having to be present there right so um it, it will give us a lot of leverage for sure like once we once we pick it up and we get more comfortable with it um i think definitely the first few hires are going to be like more challenging you probably you'd need warmer leads than um someone let's say randomly online that you find um you know unless you of course connect with that person a lot um but other than that i think like 
that's where the, we'll see like most companies like or many companies especially like online ones shift towards right so mm -hmm. if there's one thing we really learned um, kind of going back to kind of one of the learnings that we had over the past um, you know a uh, little while and let's say over the past year um, it's that you know if you're an online business uh, you're you're usually pretty set through these challenging times so like one thing we learned is that like we had a lot of pieces that are um, very physical very like in person um, at, at some point like when we when we just launched shift right we were uh, like physically visiting each car making sure they're in a good uh, condition they're clean and all that and then eventually we kind of moved towards this mindset of um, you know can we can we completely let, um, outsource that to the car owner themselves and have them take care of this and even give them a little bit more money if that helps right so uh, or increase their take um, uh, to see if that helps and eventually like it ended up becoming much easier to manage right so we didn't we eventually became pretty much online we didn't have to be in waterloo we could be in toronto and manage cars in waterloo from here so um, yeah definitely having that m mindset as uh, of, of hire either hiring remotely or even operating your business remotely um, i think it's a it's it's a good mindset to have um, if your business is online right if it's if it's still like a store physically somewhere you know then that's definitely not gonna, probably not gonna work but um yeah i think that's kind of my take on that yeah so i mean going back to this permission leverage right uh, and, and these topics of you know following gary v and things like that um how do you how do you get the messaging out like are you focused more on, on the code aspect of it you know write really good code write really good product build really good product and it'll sell itself or you know are you still in the mode of like great even great ideas have to be sold um and you know how, how are you getting this out to consumers 100 percent. like every time i i Think about this myself too. I, I always this quote comes to my mind that um, you know if a tree falls in the middle of the forest and no one hears it, did it did it really happen, right? So um, it's the same thing with a product. You know, if you if you code a beautiful product and put it together and you focus solely on that, um, you know, and you don't get customers for it, did it you know did it really make an impact, right? So um, so for for us, I think like it, the balance is really important, and sometimes we forget. Like we have to remind ourselves, you know, to not go too deep into the product and. Um, or sometimes to not go too deep into just marketing uh, what we have and it doesn't fully work right yet. So uh, I think that they have to go hand in hand, right? So that's why we, every once in a while, you know, my co-founder and I kind of come out of this kind of fully into the product mode and then go a little bit more into the marketing mode, you know, try what we, um, try to market what we made, um, you know, if it, if, it, if it needs tweaks, if, the, if, it, if it has bugs, we'll go back and fix those. But uh, we try not to go deep into one, um, one or the other, right? So you need both to go hand in hand, right? So you need you need to market the product that you built and get those initial users. Um, and and you know, especially the early on, it's important to talk to your users, see if this is the product they're even looking for. What can they? What they? What do they want improved? You know, sometimes the features that we have in our heads as like entrepreneurs or programmers is not even close to what your customers are thinking, right? So it's always good to, you know, whether it's sending out surveys or just sitting. Um, you know, virtually having a chat with your customers, the early one, uh, early ones always help. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things I'm, I'm really intrigued about is like the different levels of innovation that, are, that is required, right? Both in, in frameworks of, of, within a company and in society, right? So there's 
sustainable innovation, which is the incremental innovations you do to keep up with things, right? So like the car engine having to improve to keep up with the mileage problem, right? Like as gasoline prices gets more expensive, you make the cars more more efficient, it, it, makes, it makes things do that. So, it, you know, that innovation is sustaining the product. And the second level order things is um, is, um, is is transformative innovation, right? Ones that transform something into something else, right? So almost like like hybrid vehicles, right? So a hybrid vehicle can you know can can transform you know it's a transformative product because it allows for like you know more, more savings, but it requires like a change in how you do things. Right? You're adding more complexity into the, into the product and and uh, and, and uh, differentiating it, right? But then the third one is disruptive innovation. One's the, the, it's the hardest thing to do. You're completely changing the market by creating a new one. So like EV vehicles, like electric vehicles, right? Completely change the entire infrastructure. No more gas. You need now electricity, a whole new fuel source, right? It needs to be housed different, completely different mechanics, different way of, uh, of, of, of maintaining them and monitoring them. Like everything uh, about them kind of shifts and changes and the capabilities kind of change with it. But with, the, with that disruptive market of a new market, you also have these infractions, right? The ability to have autonomous driving installed to it, the ability to provide like updates as software updates, maintenance of software updates, right? Having more informatics involved, like all these disruptions kind of increase it and move it up long, right? How do you frame your ideas, right? Whether it be ShiftFighter in, in general or launching a product launches, right? Do you think of them in, in like in like in these kind of frameworks of like what what parts of this is going to be sustaining? What parts is going to be destructive? What parts of this is transformational? Like what can I do? What can I do? Like you know how do you how do you frame like uh, your ideas? That's a great uh, question. To be honest, like it's it's uh, sometimes like we don't even realize that we're, we're going through those stages, but we are right. So like I mean like. Um, and sometimes we have to kind of make sure that we're on the same page of the customer, right? Because sometimes we could be talking about putting out marketing content for a product that that's either too good to be true or too futuristic uh, or too ahead of its time, right? And so customers don't sometimes buy into that, right? Especially um, like early on when you're trying to convince people, you know, let's say a subscription model is better than a lease. Um, so what we try to do is definitely show that transformational um, model and, and see kind of how you know, here's what we, what we have today and here's what, what you could have and how um, it's a step better than what what, it is, what you have. So I think that that's important to show customers um, as opposed to kind of try to be very, very disruptive and say like we're making something that's like really exceptional, you're gonna love it. And so I think, I mean, you still wanna do a bit of both, right? Like for example, like Tesla, they come out and say, we're making this cool truck, right? And um, at the same time, they're working on their cars and they still launch the cars and make small feature updates right so um mm-hmm. so i don't think there's a like like at any point you can't be um working on all of them you know you, you can you can present the future to the customers but at the same time you still got to make those uh you know small transformational kind of uh, tweaks to your products and, and show your customers that you care about their feedback you know um so and and especially when it comes to disruption the hardest part is that you can't ask people what they want us to dis or the company to disrupt right so when it comes to disruptive ideas or disruptive like products that you want to make um that's when i think just launching what you what you what you think you know will will uh, will be something that the market wants is it helps right whereas like for example the more of the um, transformational product launches like that's more important that you talk to your customer and see if that's uh, something that they want or that feature that you want that you're quoting is something that they actually want. Um, so, uh, you know, and I think like 
um, Steve Jobs had a quote, you know, related to this, and it's, um, I don't know exactly how it goes, but it's somewhere along the lines of, um, you, you can't ask your customers, you know, what, what they want, because they don't know what they want, right? So like, um, and that's totally true, like when it comes to um, future kind of innovative products, right? And, and it's totally okay, even big companies make products that people don't want, and then they eventually like say, okay, this is, this was a failure, you know, they don't say it, but uh, people, you know, find out, you know, at some point that this, this is not something that, that works. Like even Apple does it on a daily basis, you know, they were going to, for the longest time, launch, for example, like these wireless chargers and they presented it in their keynotes and then ended up not happening um, or, or, or some products they even launched and ended up not working out, right? So I think um, as long as you, you have a mix between the, the, the three um, models, I think uh, you're, you're set. Um, but sometimes it's hard. Some some companies are working on very disruptive ideas that, um, you know, especially a lot of the let's say biomed companies that or biotech companies that have products that might you know only work in five to ten years, right? So for those types of companies, it could be hard to um, to show something that's kind of like in the in the present moment what they can they can give customers. So it can definitely be challenging, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you summarized that really well. Um, you know, I, I think Steve Jobs is paraphrasing um, uh, Henry Ford of that, right? Like yes. Henry Ford is saying, yeah, Henry Ford is saying, like, you know, if I ask people what they wanted, they say a faster horse. Exactly. But he had to go out and build the car for them to understand what, what was possible. And funny enough, one of the things Henry Ford said was like, you know, every single component of the cars that he built, he never invented. It was already existing in the marketplace. All he exactly. did was take existing things and put it together in a new way to develop this thing and show people, hey, this is what's possible. And he had to take that leap to to get it done. And then, and not even that, like he had to, you know, develop processes, sell them, and and get it out to market, and and develop an industry around this. Right? Disruptive innovation is one of the hardest things to do because you're you're making a market. But if you can do it, it's one of the most rewarding things. And even though you know Henry, we can look at the winners. There's been tons of failures. So many companies that were way beyond their time, too early, uh, not enough, right? Like not enough uh, supporters there, and they fizzled out. But uh, you never know until you try, right? And it takes the craziness of entrepreneurs to make that try and attempt. So, uh, Nima, man, on on that note, kudos to you and uh, now your team on developing this and getting to where you are. Uh, looking forward to seeing um, you know more of what comes out of this and more of your growth. Uh, thank you, thank you again, again for coming on again and uh, updating us on your story. But looking forward to future updates as well. For sure, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat with you again and uh, in, in a different format. But it's always great to catch up. So um, yeah, hopefully next time it will be at your new studio. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and <laughs> maybe at a networking event. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. But for everyone who Sounds tuned in, thank you. And this has been Nima from Shiftride. Check them out. <laughs>